Welcome to the Ideas on Stage podcast, your regular insight into leadership communication. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the show. Andrea, lovely to be here with you this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nick, with you, I want to talk about... You've recently published a book, a great book. So we are going to talk about the ideas that you that you've included in your book, speaking with confidence. Yes. So, so I get to, to show a picture. Of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and can you tell us more about what's inside the book, the key ideas there? And also, I'm interested, Nick. If you think about public speaking, there are many angles that you can that you can touch. The title itself, you focus on speaking with confidence. Was there a particular reason for that? So I think this. I think the starting place is I've always had a bug. I, I work in the speaking industry. I've worked in the speaking industry a long time, and yet I've always had a bugbear about reactions from people when you say you speak work in this industry. Over oh my god, that put, that puts the heebie-jeebies up me, and how scared I am of that, and I, I can never speak in public. Because um, my fundamental belief and at the core of this book is the fact that. We all can speak. That's it. Full stop. Um, and I think too much emphasis is made as we get as we go through our lives and kind of experience kind of go from school to business to whatever over structured speaking and how you've got to do speak, speeches in the right way. Um, and suddenly this fear builds up in people's minds about the fact whether or not they can speak. Um, and I think fundamentally at, at the core everyone can speak. And so the question is actually, how do you get through this phase of being told that you're not speaking correctly or as people perceive you should be able to speak? And my belief is actually that's a confidence thing rather than it's an ability-based thing. Right. That's super interesting. And Nick, what do you think, based on your experience, if we think about confidence, where, where does that come from? Confidence in public speaking. What do you think? Where does it come from? I think it's so the confidence comes from the fact of the fear when you're in front of people that you feel you have to be right mm -hmm. and you have to be an expert and you have to be kind of the person who is telling people something. We need um, to have all the answers, right? You, exactly. You are the oracle of everything. And I think, again, I think, uh, I, listen, we're kind of we're in December now. We're talking in December and we've been through a lot this year. And one of the moments kind of that I always refer back to is in the referendum for Brexit, um, Michael Gove stood up and he get, turned around and said, um, we don't need experts anymore. Um, and there's a whole story about that and kind of the whole thing about that and whether you believed him or you don't believe him is kind of relevant to me. What, what the part about it, which I find contextually fascinating, is it almost made people realise that the crazy world we live in now with Brexit, with the pandemic, with like the state of the US and its politics over there, and just generally the world is, oh, no one could tell us categorically what is going to happen tomorrow. None of us know. And therefore, actually, there's no such thing as an expert who has the answer. What we do have is we have people who have educated opinions and have thoughts and have ideas, which are fascinating and can help us form our opinions and shape our ideas. And so realistically, it's that moving away from it being the person on stage is the oracle about something and has the answer to something and is telling us stuff. To the person on stage has a thought, has an idea, has a um, has a kind of whatever it is, a vision, 
which they kind of the credibility, they're going to tell us about their credibility. And then we as the audience, as individuals within the audience, are going to make a judgment call about our belief in it, our kind of how we factor that into what we, how we're going to think. And effectively, we take that information, it becomes our own information, rather than it becoming, this is the answer, and this is what I'm going to have to believe. Yeah. And before, Nick, you mentioned the word school, and it made me think of an article that you wrote. Maybe it's even a few years ago now, but I found in preparation for this chat, I found it on your LinkedIn profile. And you were talking about the, the fact that you think that we need to change how we talk about public speaking. And you were talking about also the impact that schools and the education system has when it comes to people's ability or people's confidence in speaking in public. And I found it really interesting. I don't know if you remember what article I'm, I'm talking about. I can't remember the article, but probably it formed, like the first chapter of the book is titled Show and Tell. Um, and effectively, my entire thing about the, about the education system is you go to primary school and you, you have this session called Show and Tell, and suddenly every single kid in the class wants to talk about their stories and talk about what they got up to that weekend or talk about this and talk about that. And they're all happy coming to the front of the front of the class, telling their mates about what went on. Um, and as we go through the school system, suddenly that becomes like that enthusiasm to speak becomes less and less because actually you're critiqued over how you speak and you're critiqued about there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this. And the natural instinct to tell stories gets taken away from us because we get, um, we get, Put in the direction of actually how it for, how how it formulated and how it should be done. And I think and I, I'm really sorry I can't remember the article, but kind of. But my thought about the education system is we put a lot of effort into our literacy and our ability to write, but actually we put little effort into our ability to speak. Like kind of, you, I don't know, kind of you take exams and actually it's all written exams. How much work do we do? How in life as we go through life? How's business done? How are relationships formed? How is everything done? Yes, they've done kind of, they're done through social media, they're done through emails, but primarily, primarily, and what are we missing again during these times? It's that face-to-face -face contact where we're actually talking about stuff. And the fact the education system has no reference to that. It's just a shame and it means that actually children are told how to do stuff, but they lose actually their abilities to do it because there's kind of that it's perceived that they've got to do it in specific ways. Yeah. Now, I agree with you 100%, Nick. And also, in your book, Speaking with Confidence, there's a lot of practical advice for speakers if you want to be able to improve your ability as a presenter, as a speaker. And the I would say one of the first things to consider is the role of the audience. And as speakers, we need to be able to understand the audience as much as possible in preparation for at least important presentations. So based on your experience as a speaker, but also working with thousands of speakers at Speakers Corner, how do you go about, or, or what advice would you give for people who want, to, for speakers who want to be able to understand their audience better in preparation for presentations? Good question. So I think, I think the starting place, and I really kind of, I believe this is, every single person who wants to speak needs to have a perception shift of their, shift of their audience. Um, for some reason, we see, we see it as some sort of gladiatorial kind of arena. When we stand up on stage or we stand in front of an audience, whatever it is, it's me against them and I've got to prove to them the whole thing. But actually, the truth is, the only people who want you to succeed more than yourself 
are the audience. And why is that? Especially if you're in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, um, a conference room where you've got rows of seating. The only people who can't escape you speaking in front of the room are the people in those, in those seats, especially the middle seats. They can't get out. They've got nowhere to go. They're stuck. They are literally there wishing, praying as, as you start speaking. Make, make him be okay. Like they don't want, they're not looking for the greatest orator of all time. They just want to be able to enjoy the time they're with you. So suddenly it moves away from the most kind of, who is most concerned about you delivering a bad speech? It's not you, it's actually the audience. And your whole perception shifts away to it being, they are with me now, I'm taking them on the ride. Um, I think that is, for the speaker, that's, a, that's, that's a, a huge shift. But then the next level is, let me understand my audience. Let me actually understand what they want. What are they looking for? How can I tailor my speech so I'm actually giving them what they want in the speech in the manner that they want it? And kind of, and it's really basic, really, really basic things. The truth of the matter is, is that if you've got a room full of people in jeans and a t-shirt and you are standing up on stage in a shirt and a tie, then you are coming across on a different, you're not going to be kind of the relationship between you is going to be a different from if you stood up on stage and mirrored and mirror there. If you, again, if you're standing behind a podium, how you can conduct yourself, try and mirror your audience, because by forming that relationship and getting that bond, suddenly you're in it together. And that, that to me is a secret to a successful speech. It's not about your ability to deliver your speech. It's about your ability to connect with your audience. So you, you are going on the journey together and you are all getting something from each other. Yeah. And you said basic things, but they make a huge difference in the success of your presentation. And you're talking about taking the audience on a journey. And so for you to be able to do that, you need to be able to develop a compelling message, a message that's interesting and engaging. Do you have what, what advice would you, would you have here for people who want to be able to develop compelling messages when presenting? So I think kind of I think the starting place, I and mean, we've all been guilty of it, and I can think times that I've been guilty of it, and it still probably puts shudders up my spine, is you go into a speech and you think to yourself, I've got to, I've got to get everything, I've got to give them everything, because I want mm. to A convince them that I have the information, but B, I can't miss anything out because else I'm shortchanging it. And actually, I think my main advice is strip it all back. If you can deliver that one nugget, that one core message really well and re-emphasize it and make sure actually the audience take that home because they really get it, then you're going to achieve so much more than if you give them this broad brush bit of everything and they end up confused in the message, confusing what they want to do. So almost the starting place for a speaker when, they, when they're putting together their thoughts is try and, like, how many thoughts you have, just fill it back. Take away at least half and come up with two or three core messages that you're going to be making sure the audience take away. If they take other things away afterwards, then that's a bonus, but that's not your aim. Don't, do not try to over to over give, I suppose. Leave them wanting more. That's always the best thing. There's no better, there's no better pray for a speech than I wish you could have spoken for another hour. Brilliant. Yeah. I'll take yeah. that every time. No, you're right. And it's true. I, I, I also see all the time, often the, the mistake I see is that as presenters, often we know so much about a subject that we think that everything is important. And so we feel that we need to communicate everything. Isn't that true? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. If you put yourself in the audience's shoes, then it becomes very clear that if everything is important, then nothing is important. Yeah. 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 I, think, I, I think that's such a good input. 
kind of it's a fact that are you a master of one thing or are you average at everything good to average at everything yeah, yeah and it's yeah. great if you're good to average at everything but you don't become memorable memorable great. exactly i want to talk you go ahead i what i say I, I, what i find really interesting is like we get uh, like in the in the event industry or the conference whatever you want to call it, the meeting thing, you get you get a speaker in it and afterwards all the delegates have to mark that speaker and give them out of five a star and the truth of the matter for any speaker again going back as long as you told a good story um, and you delivered it with a smile on your face and a bit of kind of energy and whatever you should be hitting four or five stars why because in that moment you made everyone feel good the interesting thing, actually, to me, as to whether you're not, whether a speech is a really great speech or not a speech, does anyone remember it in three months' time? And not even remember you, but remember actually the content of the speech. I can't remember who that guy was, but I remember what he said, and he said this, that, and the other, because that then has an impact. But we don't measure the impact of a speech three months down the line. We measure it in the moment. And I think kind of the spe speakers are too fearful of the moment and not getting those four or five stars. And I'm saying to you, that's not about the content. That's not about, you don't have to pile in more content to get the four or five stars. That's about the connection with the audience. Mm. To hit that mark of three months down the line and get four or five stars because you've given a message to someone or given a thought to someone which has helped shape them and change their thought process. That's about giving them just a nugget. It's not about giving, you're not looking to revolutionize their lives. No one has the capacity of that. But you, you could give them something which could help them move forward. Yeah. And you mentioned, Nick, that one way, to, you mentioned stories, which is one way to make your message, your presentations more memorable, having a lasting impact. You do talk about incorporating storytelling in your book. Could you tell us more about it? Well, we're humans and we kind of, we all have friends. And the reason we have friends is because actually we meet up with friends for a cup of tea, kind of in a coffee shop or for a drink in a pub or whatever, or for a meal, whatever it was. And we sit together and we tell each other stories about our lives. And the reason we have these relationships is because actually we're quite interesting and we form well with each other. And we, if we just sat there and gave each other statistics and facts, actually we'd quickly fall out of friendship and wouldn't be that, and we wouldn't be that interested with each other. Stories is what actually we remember. Stories is what in interests us. As speakers, we've got to take that on board. We've got to understand that actually delivering that message and making sure they understand the point is not going to, it's not, they're not going to take it on board unless you turn it into something which actually emotionally we connect with. And that not only is that about the audience, but that's also about us. Ultimately, I'm going to be more interested in you if I tell you a story than if I just kind of, I'm going to be able to engage with you more. I'm going to be able to remember what I have, what I'm trying to get across to you if I tell it in a story, in a story. Whereas if I'm just actually talking to you about a subject matter, I might memorize that speech off by heart to make sure I hit all the messages I need to give you and all the statistics I need to give you, but there won't be any emotion. It will be very stilted and it won't be natural and it won't be me. And therefore the connection between you and me just won't be there. I will give you a speech, you'll take it away. It'll be useful the information you have, but that'll be it. Whereas actually if I, if I turn that into a story, I turn that into an anecdote, there's gonna be stuff in your life which is gonna get triggered by it. And you will remember that much longer than that moment. Yeah. And it's so interesting because we know this, but still, if we look at the majority of presentations, especially when it comes to business presentations, I would say that 99% of them include just facts and figures. And then if we are lucky, the 1% is story. And I agree with you 100%. We should turn this around. So telling stories is one of the most 
powerful things we can do to make our messages memorable. I, I, I'm not, I just don't, I'm not sure when we got to the stage, maybe we've always had it, whereby the, the credibility you, you get is from wheeling out statistics and wheeling out facts and figures, and that's how you form credibility. When actually, you kind of, we all know, if we sit in a meeting with someone who gives us stat after stat after stat, or we sit in a, in a meeting with someone who is passionate about something and tells us a great story, which one we're going to remember, and which one we're going to want to go and chat more to afterwards. Um, and I, I think it's about the speaker being, it's about the speaker, the person who's giving that, being concerned that everyone is not going to, it's not going to pay attention to them or believe them if they are just, if they don't give themselves credibility. Yeah. And actually my, I, my feeling is the credibility comes, not my feeling, the credibility comes from your ability to connect to people, not necessarily from your credentials of the fact that you've got this degree or you've done this or you've done that. It's kind of, it's a byproduct. Absolutely. Uh, and also, Nick, let's talk about nerves, dealing with nerves. It's something that you talk about in the book. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I get asked about nerves all the time. And it is one of the, the key topics that, them, that we talk about when you think about public speaking. And for, I have two questions for you, Nick. Yeah. One is... As a speaker yourself, when you give your presentations, do you, you've got a lot of experience, but do you still feel the nerves? And the second question is, how do you deal with it? Okay, so the, the answer to the first question is yes. And I, always, if I didn't feel the nerves, I'd be more scared about the speech. Um, the nerves is what drives you. The nerves we have, that, the interesting thing again about speaking is we have nerves in everything in our lives. And we manage those nerves. And yet for speaking or something where we put ourselves out there, suddenly these nerves turn into something which actually we think are showstoppers rather than using them as, like nerves to me, you could replace with the word adrenaline. And how you control that adrenaline is how actually it helps you to move forward. You see it as a positive influence. It, it puts you on edge, but the edge it should be seen as a good thing. It puts you outside your comfort zone and all these other phrases that we could use. Overcoming it, we do it anyway. Just the fear of actually being in front of an audience and therefore actually being put in a place where we could be um, we could be ridiculed or whatever we want to. That is what stymies us. Whereas actually you see it as in the nerves is what pumps us up, it gets our blood, kind of our blood running, kind of our heart pounding. And actually that's what gives us the energy to go on stage and actually deliver a present, be a presence rather than just delivering something by nerves. Um, how do I deal with it? So I, I think there's two things. I think kind of I start in the place of saying I won't go up on stage and deliver a speech that isn't my own words. I think this is the critical thing for me because it's my story. If I'm standing up on stage to deliver, because I've been told and I have in previous, my previous life, kind of I've been told I've got to give this presentation and it's stuff I don't believe in or really has nothing to do with me, then you are delivering a different speech and those nerves can overcome you. If you own that content, drill it down and say I'm going to talk on this, that and the other, but really own that content, make it your own. Don't deliver it in the way you're told to deliver it. Deliver it in the way that you want to deliver it. And then the other thing, the, the other critical thing is beforehand, well, two critical things beforehand. Firstly, I establish something I'm going to do beforehand, before I get on stage. And I don't mean read the speech. I mean, literally beforehand, I'm going to walk here, I'm going to get a cup of coffee, I'm going to go to the toilet, I'm going to come back. That's my routine, really innocuous routine, but I just know what I'm going to do to kill time more than anything else, because the worst thing you're going to be doing is pacing up and I've just got a routine, because you've got that energy and you're just burning off that energy. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to look at my speech. 
That's the absolute critical. I'm not good. I, firstly, I don't have a written. I might have some keywords. And I might have written my keywords down on my hand, divided by six points, or I might have a card with six keywords. I've got my speech, and I know I've got my speech because I've been because I've been practicing for the previous three weeks. That whole speech, it's, it, it's there. Those last minute, I can't think about it because it's not going to improve me. It's only going to make me more on edge. So I just take myself out of that place, and I, and therefore when I go up on stage. I know what I'm going to say in that first 15 seconds. And literally those first 15 seconds is that introduction, which actually just puts you in a place of comfort. And that's the only part I'll have on road, the only part I'll know 100%. Because once I've gone through that, by that time, my mind is clear. I've got a slide of a nice picture of something behind me, which triggers my story and I'm ready to fly. It's, it's about putting yourself in a place where, you're not, where your, your nerves are turned into energy and your energy is something which actually you can control rather than using to just feed your mind and panic your mind. Yeah. And that's one of the things you recommend, I saw in the book, that you say that you should even memorize the first, the very first minutes, maybe the first couple of minutes, also as a way to help you overcome the very initial nerves. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I, yes. I think, listen, I think, I don't know, kind of, we all had hobbies when we were growing up, and maybe some of us played in teams or appeared in events or stuff like that and the worst part in my head is always that was always that bit beforehand you look at kind of I don't know you look at sports teams and international sports teams and, and to me the part where they look most panicked is when they're doing the national anthems before they go and play the game because they just want to get on and play because that's what they're comfortable doing I want to tell my story the part that I find most difficult is walking up the steps and saying hey my name's Nick Gold and I'd like to talk to you about speaking um, that to me is the hard part. So let me get through that part. Let me let me use that time to compose myself so that I can become myself. Um, so memorize that part absolutely, because it buys you that 15 seconds, that 30 seconds, that one minute. It buys you that time to take that deep breath and get, and get into it. That's a great tip. And also, Nick, let's talk about practice. What's your, how do you say you've got, in my experience, you've got those speakers who like to rehearse and practice a lot. And you have those who say, well, actually, I don't like to practice that much because then I'm concerned that if I do, then I will appear a bit robotic. I like to improvise a little bit more. What, how do you see this? So, my, okay, so... It's not about the practice. Like you've got to do what's right for you in terms of the practice. I think that the kind of, yes, if you're someone who wants to go through it again and again and again, that's fine. And if you're someone who turns around and doesn't want to do it as much, that's fine. That's that's about, to me, that's almost exam revision time. I keep on going to school in the 90s, but it's exam revision. Some people like to cram it all in at the last minute. Some people like to do it heavily over weeks. Either way, there's no right or wrong. It's about the individual. To me, the critical part is at what point you can turn around to yourself and say, I've got this. Now, all I'm going to do is relate it into my trigger points, and whether those trigger points are the slides you're using, whether they're just keywords, whatever they are, but you move it away from practicing the whole speech to just being in your comfort zone that I've got the speech, I'm not, I don't want to get into over, over mode so that actually I'm just doing it by rote. You don't want to lose that energy. And if you practice, if you practice too much up to the moment, then you end up going up on stage and either speaking too quickly because you're just spilling it out or forgetting forgetting where you are in your in your in your mind over where you're going to speak and therefore actually being put off because you've forgotten that one word and suddenly it slips everything yes practice but then two days before or a day before 24 hours before you stop that practice and you don't do any more of the full practice all you do is you think to yourself 
car, that's a story about this. Ship, that's a story about that. And, if, and in your mind, that's what you're talking about, but you're not talking about the words themselves. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, and, and Nick, also let's go back to something you mentioned before. You talked about your own ritual, for example. You have a ritual, I do this and that just before the very first minutes before a presentation. And, and if this question doesn't lead anywhere, no problem at all, it's fine. I'm just curious, because you've worked with thousands of speakers, your own clients, do you know any interesting ritual that some of your speakers, some of the speakers you work with have? Maybe the 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 first few seconds just before the presentation, anything like that? Okay, so there's a couple of, there's a couple I'll share. There's one I'll share with, um, I was with a comedian and literally about 10 seconds before he was going on, he was furiously writing on his hand. And I was like, what are you, I said to him afterwards, I was like, I don't understand what you're writing on that. And he was like, I was literally writing the one word of the punchlines of the, of my jokes. And I said, he said to me, I know all these jokes. But it was just something to take my mind off and just to reassure myself. And that's what I did. I had another speaker I know whose ritual was literally as the introduction started, he had a, he's got a, or she, actually, sorry, she, she's, she has an intro video which gets played, which she knows is about 37 seconds. And she's timed herself over the time it takes her to walk somewhere and back so that actually she's not standing at the side of the stage while the video is playing. And, then, and, then, and there's other people, like I know speakers who kind of, while the intro's going or not intro, while the, the session beforehand is going, they always stand at the back of the room and as they make their way forward, kind of, because it buys them the time to control themselves and they've seen the stage and they want to see it from the audience point of view, so they're coming fresh. They, they all do have little, little things they do, which kind of, you would never notice, and probably they might even not notice they're doing, but actually when you sit them down and you say to them, why do you do this? They're like, yeah, I always do that. And I think that's what I find really interesting. A lot of them don't even realize they're doing it. But when you ask them that direct question, they turn around and say, yeah, I just do that. And it's because it's what it, it breeds familiarity for them and it puts them into a place where they know they can deliver what they've got to deliver. Yeah, and it's true. And it's not just with public speakers. I think if you look at a lot of people who need to perform in some way, it could be also sport athletes they tend to have their own, most of them tend to have their own ritual as well. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think this applies to business as well. I think I, it genuinely intrigues me. Like you go into a business meeting where you're part of a group who, who are moving a business forward and making decisions. Actually, you've got to get your frame right, your frame, your, your mind, frame of mind right. And too many of us will rush from our desk straight into the meeting and yeah. suddenly when we're meeting, it takes a few minutes to switch on kind of know what you're going into the meeting to achieve and then when you when you when you start speaking you've already thought that through and therefore you're going to deliver what you're hoping to deliver and that's because you you've put yourself in the right mindset um and i think kind of again i think going going back to the book that this is my whole thing is the fact that we think public speaking is that big stage with that huge audience which are all facing you and you, you're microphoned up and you've got to deliver this kind of rip-roaring speech and my thing is actually we literally, we go into a business meeting with six people where we're talking about the, plan, the strategic plans for the next four months and you are giving your opinion. That's a speech. Do we think about that and panic about what we're going to say? No, because we're not standing up. Well, okay, but if we do stand up in that meeting, do we then start panicking? No, because it's in the moment. But actually, critically, what it's about is about we know what, we, we believe in what we're saying. We'll take that into every forum. Give yourself that moment to compose yourself Give yourself the environment which is correct for you and you will always deliver. Yeah. 
And also, Nick, on that point, is there anything that we haven't discussed so far? Because you did touch a few things already from that perspective. But if you think about preparation on the day, the day of the presentation, especially for important presentations, is there anything else that you would recommend that we consider as speakers? I, it's the other thing I'm, I'm fascinated about by the fact that actually I've moved the... I, to me, I've moved the needle everyone to, away from it being I'm the speaker and therefore I'm the, I'm the attraction to it being the audience that are the attraction. The audience are the ones who kind of ultimately decide whether the speech is a great speech or not a great speech, however you feel about it. I don't understand why every speaker doesn't gauge the audience beforehand, either because if, if it's a conference, then go to the session before. If it's just you speaking then, and, they're, and they're having a drink beforehand, then go and have a drink before. I don't kind of go and just be in it and be part of the whole. Speakers come in, they deliver their speech, and it's in isolation. But actually, how you compose, how you read the room will be critical to your success. And I just think that kind of the speech, the actual delivery of that full 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minute speech, the success or failure of it is actually in how you is how you at the hour beforehand and how you read that room and how you realize that me coming up on stage, and again, it's really kind of, I use the example of coming up on stage before I'll use it again. I've read the room. So I was going to come up, my opening words would be, hi, my name is Nick Gold, and I come from blah, 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 because I thought that's what they wanted, because I wanted to give them, um, I then walk in the room, and actually there's a much more relaxed atmosphere. So I change my opening, not in terms of, because I've got it, I've got it memorized, so I know, but, but rather it's, hi, my name is Nick Gold, hi, I'm Nick. I'm just much more relaxed. I walk in, as I'm walking onto the stage. I'm saying hi, I'm Nick, rather than waiting to get in my spot behind the podium. All only because I've read that, that it's a relaxed, it's, it's that slightly more relaxed atmosphere. Yeah. Simple thing. The only way you can get that is just by being in that room beforehand. Yeah. Um, I don't. It's kind of become part of the become part of the whole thing, whatever that thing is, rather than isolation. Yeah, and that way you also manage to to build a strong connection. You used the word connection before. And, and also, Nick, to, to create that connection, you in the book, you talk about, and I would love to explore that in a bit more detail, if you've got any, any advice or, or tips there. You talk about this idea of turning a presentation into a conversation. And this idea of, that a presentation should not be a one-way communication. Me, I'm presenting and you just listen to me, but it should be treated more of a conversation with the audience. Could you tell us more about this? Do you have any advice or tips or recommendations there? So, so yes, but so, and let, me, let, me, let me contextualize for you for a minute. So I, I wrote the book at the beginning of this year and effectively I had, um, my deadline date was mid-April. Mm. so basically like three or four weeks into the pandemic um and i literally the week before or, or even just as i had in kind of we were getting more into the virtual world into um zoom and i was like i need to write something about this and a privilege in the position that we were already engaging the whole thing it's only ramped up but seeing actually the dynamic of how speakers are presenting has completely changed um but for, with, with respect to your question the point about it, and I'll go into it, the point about it is that my um, my absolute passion about how the, the keynote spe speech is 
should not be deemed as a keynote speech, but actually a conversation, a keynote conversation. It's been exemplified, it's been kind of exaggerated. It's, it's absolutely critical now in the virtual space. And the reason it's critical in the virtual space, and I'll try to give a couple of tips, is because of the fact that now, because we're, we're talking across the screen, while you could be furiously nodding your head and saying, oh, then that sounds great, you might be reading your emails. And I have no idea what you're doing at all. And you know, because there's a million one different things. And I, to give you the energy, but in a room when we're all together, the energy comes from each other, and it's a symbiotic relationship which helps create something magical. Whereas actually here, I'm staring at a computer and a camera. That's what I'm staring at. And I love the fact that I can see you and I love being able to see people, but it's not the same as having you in the room. So I need to engage with you more. And the way I, I can engage with you more is actually by provoking you and getting you to be part of this whole thing. And kind of, if, in, if I believe this in the physical space and still do even more so in this virtual space. And so it becomes over the fact of how can I engage you more is because I want you to think and I want you to respond and I want you to have and I want you to answer questions. So rather than me saying, hi, I'm Nick, and then start talking about what I'm going to talk about, pose a question and then say to them, like, kind of drop it in the chat box, kind of come back to me on the whole thing and actually start formulating the conversation rather than the speech. Why? Because I know my content. I absolutely believe in my content. But, my, but because I'm not so wedded to my speech, which I've learned off by heart, I can ask you a question, you could respond to it, and it could take me down a different route which actually is going to lead to the same conclusion that I believe in. Why? Because that's my beliefs and that's what I'm going to tell you. But how I get there is going to relate to you more than it's going to relate to me because actually I'm going to go on a path of giving you what you want in the way that you want it. Because although I thought I was going to tell you about this story in this way, realistically, you're not interested in that way. If I told you about it in this way, then great, you, you've, you've understood more. Yeah, of course, if, if you know your content, if you are prepared, that gives you also that flexibility that you need to adjust things and turn your presentation into a conversation. And I agree with you, Nick, 100% now, it's even more important because when it comes to virtual communication, it's even harder to get your message across. It's harder to keep the attention high. So being able to create those moments of interaction and conversation with the audience is so important. Yeah, and I see, and I see, and again, it kind of—it's that moving away from thinking that because I'm a speaker, I'm the expert, and therefore all I'm doing is I'm telling everyone what to do. To it's I'm the speaker. I'm privileged to be asked to speak about this, and I do know this. Whatever I'm talking about, this is my subject. However, actually, I have no idea what the audience really want to hear. I have no idea what they are, what they are thinking about, and actually, I am best positioned to be in a place to help them, but only if I can understand what they really. I've always, I've always wondered whether or not the best speech was a speech where, they, where you stand up and you say, hi, I'm Nick Gold. I've been in the speaking industry for 18 odd years. I've heard how many speeches. What would you like to know about public speaking? And the next three minutes is spent like the audience giving you things about what they'd like to know. And then me just speaking about whatever they come up with. It's a high risk strategy because they can come up and say nothing at all. And it kind of, and the big risk is the fact that they come up with something which you're stumped about. But I'm pretty confident if you know your subject because actually you believe in it and you're passionate about the whole thing that you'd be able to talk around the whole thing. It can make it and happen. And everyone wins. Yeah, it can make it happen. It can be very powerful. I agree. And because we are talking about online presentations now, Nick, because of course that's what we can do uh, most of the time in most parts of the world, only online presenting in most cases. Are there any other differences that you've that you've noticed that you think as speakers we should consider when it comes to online presenting? So, so yes, there's significant difference. I think kind of if I drop you a couple, I think firstly, when when we started out at the beginning of um, 
the pandemic, we moved to the virtual world, actually everyone could get away with sitting in kind of sitting in a chair like I am with my bookcase behind me and kind of doing and with their camera. But that's, but we're moving on. And now kind of I'm, I'm in our studio and you kind of, I don't know if I'm just going to move my camera for a minute. Yeah. And we have our green screen there if you want to use it and we have some cameras. So, and you've got to understand your environment and understand what you're looking to do. And again, how you're looking to deliver it for your, um, to the audience and what sort of kind of what you're going to use for it. Effectively, the same way, to me, the same way that um, if a speaker was going on to speak on, kind of speak at an event, they might have their slides, which they've sent to the organiser beforehand, but they probably have a spare slide. And if they've got a clicker because they've got slides, they might have a spare clicker and a battery. You should be thinking about your technology as being absolutely part of your makeup of your speech because it is going to help you and it is going to define your speech. And actually, if you are going to give that speech and you are going to do it in front of your bookcase, kind of, you've got to understand what message that gives. And I'm quite happy to do it kind of in this sort of environment where we're having a conversation, actually, it's, but if, if you're kind of, again, the gravitas you're coming, it's going to be about, about, about how you're going to give that presentation. And also as technology moves on, use the technology to your advantage while not being, I should say this, while not being limited by the technology because the technology is changing rapidly. So be comfortable in what you're doing. Um, the other thing I, I would, the other thing I would say is kind of, and it, it's where we mentioned beforehand, but I'm going to reiterate it. If you are speaking for longer than kind of five, seven minutes without anyone else in, kind of in, interrupting, kind of interrupting, conversing with you, then I would suggest that you've lost an audience yeah. um, because they will be doing other stuff. And don't worry about it. That's how it is. Um, so the question to you is how do you make it, how do you make it more bite-sized? How do you make it more um, people that have the ability to dip in and out to be able to catch up, catch up with the thread? No longer can you be giving something and referring back to something 20 minutes ago because actually there might not be an on conversation there. Be aware of your surroundings, I think that's that's my yeah. No, um, it's true. But both both things are um, spot on. I agree. I, I think make them when it comes to technology. I don't think that technology makes a huge impact when it comes to face-to-face -face presenting. Of course, there are important things to consider, but especially when it comes to online presenting, it does make a big difference. So it's something to consider. And also, as you said, when it comes to creating that conversation and those moments of interaction, I think that in a face-to-face -face presentation, I would say at least every at, at least every 10 minutes or so, we should have a sort of moment of interaction with the audience. Online, I agree with you, even more. If every five minutes or so we don't create the interaction, they're not going to listen to us. And I think the other thing, the other, just as you were saying that, the other thing that's come to mind is the use of slides and other stuff, kind of other virtual thing, kind of I, I talked about it in the book or whatever, but. Like in the physical world, I'm even very, I'm very anti-slide overload um, then because I kind of, you're the speaker, you should be the focus. Even more in the virtual world in the sense of too often you end up with a screen where there's a massive slide and in the corner you get a speaker. And it's like, well, okay, but then I'm literally just looking at, okay, I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah. I'm not really looking at a speaker. And I understand that because we're all nervous because we're sitting here and we're kind of, how can we, how can we kind of show energy? And I think that's what's really interesting for a speaker. I think it kind of is don't use slides as a, as a tool in order to avoid yourself being the center of attention. But understand as a center of attention, you've got to deliver that energy and that um, 
I, that presence that you, you deliver on stage and you become, how do you become that figure that people want to follow? And yeah. that's, to me, going back to the technology thing, like one camera, if you're delivering a speech isn't enough, you should at least have two cameras so you, so kind of, you get the movement from the, from the camera. That's More exactly. dynamic, yeah. Exactly, the dynamism of the whole thing is going to actually turn, give energy across from you. Yeah. But I agree with you again, whether it's a face-to-face -face presentation or an online presentation, you, rem you are the speaker nor your slides, nor your technology. And that remains very, very important. Nick, also, let's talk about, of course, you are the managing director of Speakers Corner. Let's talk about a little bit the journey from being a, a good, like a competent speaker to becoming a professional speaker. What's the typical journey? And it might sound obvious, as Nick, to, to most of us, but... Just in case somebody in the audience, uh, our listeners today, are not, they're not 100% sure in terms of the differences between being a speaker and a professional speaker, could you also tell us what the difference is? Yeah, of course. Um, so listen, I kind of ultimately, as I said, if we, uh, kind of, for most people in business and for most people out there kind of as a speaker, effectively, it's standing up on, sta on stage in a platform where you are telling some stories about yourself or explaining some sort of model that you've been involved in or kind of the theory that you're involved in, whatever it is. And your job is to give over that information on behalf of a company, on behalf of yourself, on behalf of whatever it was in order to move something on. So actually your job is to deliver something so actually something gets achieved. Um, and so we're all speakers and we all get these, whether it's a meeting, whether it's kind of a presentation, it's what we do in order to get something out of the the role of a professional speaker is slightly different. The role of a professional speaker is, I kind of, you could, it's almost consultancy in the sense of what you are doing is you're going into an environment in order to deliver your knowledge or deliver your story in order for the outside, in order for the people in the audience to take that away and use that in the way they need to use it. So there's no set, you're not trying to further yourself. You're there for a moment. Whereas actually as a speaker, you're there for a purpose. I think that's a critical thing. Whereas actually for the, for the professional speaker, you're there to deliver something which actually the purpose is as the audience members want it to be. Um, and so for a lot of speakers, what they find is if, if they become good at speaking, they could become good at whatever they, whatever um, sector they're in or whatever they do, they speak, they start speaking a lot because actually they're great speakers and people and they're going to their industry conferences and they're regularly asked to speak because they're one of the more engaging people. And so they kind of they, they and suddenly they're doing this a lot and they're just coming there enjoying it. And someone hears them and says, well, will you come and speak to my company? And suddenly they're speaking to this third party, which actually they've got no re reference to. Um, and they're doing it because they're a friend. And then someone else comes along and actually they get offered kind of a little bit of money to do it. And they're like this. And, and, and suddenly, as soon as you get offered kind of some financial reward or some other type of reward, effectively you could deem yourself a professional speaker. And so kind of, I think kind of going back to the question, well, what's the difference between a speaker and a professional speaker? Nothing really, apart from the freshman speaker that turned around and said, I'm going to become a professional speaker. But I do think it's that fact of you're putting yourself in environments where actually it's not your home turf. Um, but then as you move on in terms of the world of professional speaking, what you suddenly realise is it's a career. And I think this is a starting place. It's professional speaking is a career. The same way that if you were becoming a teacher, you kind of, you do your training, you kind of you become a teacher and you progress as you get more experience. And you kind of, it's the same in, in professional speaking. Is you've got to put, put the groundwork in you should have a strategy as to where you're looking to go you should you should understand your market and your sector and looking where you sit fit in it and and you should then be putting yourself out there in the right places yeah. and i think the interesting thing from my in, 
in my head about the, the professional speaker is too many people think the professional, the professional speaker, actually the, the difference between the professional speaker is their ability to speak. And actually it's not really because the nuances of this speaker against that speaker and much, are, are, not many of us are actually exposed to so many speakers that actually we can really understand the nuances of the different speakers. So as long as you are a good speaker, and ideally you're an excellent speaker, but as long as you're a good to excellent speaker, then theoretically you could be a professional speaker. Why? Because you are giving people a good time and you are emotionally connecting to them and you're giving them content and they're getting everything they want out of you. The question to you as a professional speaker, maybe this is a critical difference between a speaker and a professional speaker, is how as a professional speaker do I go out there and get work, as in speaking work, in environments that I am not known in? So if I'm like, I, if I work in the pharmaceutical industry, how kind of I might be able to get a, a speaking gig in the environment in the pharmaceutical industry because I'm known there. But how do I go out there and get and get a, a speaking gig in the I don't know, airline industry or something like that? And, and the answer that, is the answer is speak to Nick Gold and speak as Con. The answer is how are you positioning yourself and what are you saying? Like kind of if, if, if you're just talking about the kind of the pharmaceutical industry, then I've no interest, but if you're talking about a big industry, which is kind of, which is developing, spending huge amounts of money on R&D, that has loads of regulation around it, and it's this, that, and the other, then suddenly other sectors could be really interested and, and, could, um, and could be looking to see what they could be doing. Yeah. But positioning yourself differently is the game. And as you said, I'm always happy to have a conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. And Nick, before we close, before we wrap up, I see a lot of books behind you. I'm always interested. I also love books. Now, I don't know if you've got like public speaking books behind you, but in general, in addition to Speaking with Confidence, which is a book that I recommend for everybody to read, super recommended by Nick Gold. But in general, other than Speaking with Confidence, if you think about public speaking, are there any books that you would like to recommend or maybe one book in particular that you really enjoyed in the past? Anything comes to your mind? Two books come to mind. Um, one book got brought to me many years ago. I can't remember, I'm kind of both of them, I can't remember the titles, but one of them was, it was like the 50 greatest speeches of all time. Um, and it was through, through the last 200 years, speeches from all, uh, all areas, politicians, military, business, and they're just classic speeches and probably kind of, and you read these speeches and you like you know phrases throughout the whole thing, but you realize actually the impact of words and how kind of I'm a waffler, I like to speak, <laughs> but you realize the impact of actually when they drill it down and actually they deliver something, how much impact it has on you. Um, and the other book, again, I can't remember, I'm really sorry, I should I should know this kind of um, the book is called Seven Seconds or something like that, or mm. seven words. And maybe it's seven words, and it's basically it's taking various public figures over the years and distilling their messages down to seven words. Wow, interesting. Um, and it's immensely powerful because it's realized, you, again, going back to everything I said, everything we've talking about, is the fact that actually, if you can take what you believe and distill it down into seven words, mm -hmm. then you start into that place and you can build stories around it. And so if, if they come to me and they would say to me, speak for three minutes, speak to 10 minutes, speak to four and a half hours, it would all still come back to those seven words. Yeah. Super, super you, powerful. I'll, I'll remind myself of the title. I'll, I'll give it to no, you. I'll find it. I'll find it for listeners. That, that's super interesting. I also I don't know that book, so interesting for me as well. And I, I agree with that with that concept. If you can communicate your message in in a few words, 
or even if we go beyond seven words, but if you can communicate your message in a few seconds, then you can communicate it in longer. If yeah. not, maybe your message isn't simple enough or isn't clear enough. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very, very nicely put. Yeah. Thank okay. You. Nick, thank you so much. Before we close, do you have a, a final message for listeners? Or maybe is there a question that you wanted me to ask you and I haven't done it? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I know, I listen, I, think kind of, I suppose, my, listen, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I suppose my final comment is just a reiterating what I've been saying all the which is the fact that speaking is something we can all do. I can't stress this enough, and therefore let's not be fearful about it. You can get better. Um, and you can, but embrace it because this is what you do every day of your lives. Um, and change, change the narrative over, the, over the, the world of public speaking, and suddenly the world is your oyster. Great. Great way to, to end our conversation. Nick, thank you so much again. I really appreciate your time and I want to wish you all the very best with the book, Speaking with Confidence, with the end of 2020 and also with all your future projects and activities for 2021 and beyond. Andrea, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure joining you. Thank you. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. All the very best. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ideas on Stage podcast, there are many more you might like. So please subscribe, leave us a review, and tell us what you think. You can find many more ideas on business communication at ideasonstage.com or by searching for Ideas on Stage on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and goodbye for now.